everyone and welcome to the DIY Future podcast series. DIY Future is a podcast run by Better Moms Challenge, which is an initiative to help connect moms to other moms and improve the lives of families around the world. And if you're not a mom, you are also so welcome. If there's a mom in your life you love, this podcast is still for you. I want to introduce my co-host today, Angie McPherson. Hello. And Mike McCulpin. Hi. It's great to be here, guys, and I'm so excited to be kicking off the second episode of DIY Future, where today we're going to be discussing global education and how we can work together to ensure that all children around the world have access. So we looked into it, and there are many obstacles that are keeping children from being able to to get to this goal, including threats to local institutions, there's lack of schools or resources in the area, and then there's a lot of cultural barriers that to this day are still around, and, and that's a barrier to learning. So one of the most pressing issues that the United Nations is trying to help solve is to close the gender gap. So what does that mean, Angie? So gender gap means that there is a problem with equality. So boys and girls are not given exactly the same amount of um, either resources or access to things that they need. And this is evident through things such as gender data, which is being recorded by the United Nations. And so you can see that through some of the reporting that they've done. And around the world, 31 million girls of primary school age are out of school today. Right. And so primary school, that's the same thing as elementary school, right? It's the same thing as elementary school. And that means anybody who is between the ages of five and 12 take that even a step further and that's not to mention the millions who do attend primary school but then don't get to learn how to read or write when they get out of education afterwards and so we'll talk about that more in this episode uh, when we're going to call in Lana Wong from the Education Commission. Wow those numbers are staggering. Yeah indeed. So we looked into the issues and about preventing girls from getting into school and they vary according to region. Uh, For example in rural Afghanistan one of the highest known rates, uh, rural Afghanistan has one of the highest known rates of illiteracy in the world. Um, according to UNESCO, the higher literacy rates in the region are due to a number of factors, including poverty, security risks for children, and fewer schools. So to look into this, we spoke to Shabana Bashir Rashik, co-founder and president in school at the School of Leadership in, in Afghanistan, also known as SOLA, to learn more about the challenges facing the girls in the country. So Shabana is an amazing human being. Her Mm -hmm. story is just incredible. Um, She grew up under the Taliban. And, you know, uh, uh, as we talk about all of these numbers, they are are mind-blowing. But really, to make sense of them, we need to understand someone's story who is living the experience of of not having access to education. So let's hear from Shabana directly. Shabana Basij Rasikh. I'm the co-founder and president of SOLA. School of Leadership, Afghanistan. Growing up under a Taliban regime uh, meant um, that legally I couldn't uh, receive an education as an as a Afghan uh, girl. But fortunately, uh, my parents are so supportive of education. They believe in education so deeply. Um, mainly, I, I believe it's because of their own personal experiences. And what a difference uh, an education has made in their lives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what? In uh, that, how did that help them? Yeah, I, I you know, my father was the first uh, person in his family uh, to receive an education, and my mom was the first woman in her family um, to receive an education. So, um, both of them combined have uh, such an appreciation for the power of education. The that um, it was um, difficult for them to um, see their children, especially their daughters, uh, growing up without one. 
mm. um, a right that they um, had to fight for and that they um, made so many sacrifices for um, to to have um, so uh, what that meant was that they decided to risk their lives and risk our lives and send me and my sisters to a secret school. That's right, you heard that right folks, secret schools. We looked into it, according to The Independent, hundreds of thousands of girls received an education through these secret schools in Afghanistan during the Taliban regime. At least 35,000 girls received support from covert projects created by the Save the Children Fund and others to support these projects. At Shabana's school, the principal had seven children. The girls were teachers and the boys were used as guards. She had to dress up as a boy to receive an education and walk a mile to get to school each day. Um, the secret school that I attended and that my sister attended um, was run by a woman who was a high school principal before the Taliban regime. And she had three daughters, who, two of whom were in medical school right before Taliban, and all of a sudden they couldn't go to university anymore. So uh, the daughters became the teachers um, in that secret school, and the two sons uh, in the family were uh, basically neighborhood guards, uh, making sure that the neighbors were on board and that um, the Taliban weren't um, scavenging uh, the area for, um, you know, for, for school, girls for girls' education, right. and, and so they uh, uh, and the reason we received admission was that my mom and that school principal uh, were colleagues um, before the Taliban. So their um, professional relationship uh, allowed her to trust us to let us into that school. For, for these uh, secret schools, underground schools, that um, they were worried about being spied on for, that, for the regime. And uh, of course, the consequences uh, would always be very, very devastating, both for the family that decided to run an underground school and for the children who attended. Um, so they, you know, they took that risk and they um, accepted us because of that relationship that they had with my family. But what that meant was that um, it was really far away from our house. We had to walk an hour each way um, every day to get to the school. And that's how I received my first six years of education. And I think when I'm asked about uh, how Sola came about, um, I, I talk about uh, my personal uh, journey my, my personal struggle to receive an education, and especially to an audience um, who uh, consider access to education the most basic human right. Uh, and yet, in a place like Afghanistan, it's one of the greatest privileges that you can have. One of the greatest privileges that you can have is access to education. That's so powerful. But for so many girls around the world, that isn't as easy to attain as you might imagine. And the Taliban is just one example of the threats facing girls' education. And sadly, it isn't the only example. So in April 2014, 274 girls were kidnapped from their school in Nigeria. In 2015 alone, thousands of Yazidi girls were kidnapped by ISIS and sold to the sex trade. That's in addition to the many threats girls are faced with every day just to reach their schools. If you look at um, the experience of a girl from a rural Afghanistan even today, um, let's say, you know, she is lucky enough uh, to have the permission from her family, and by that I mean her father, brother, grandfather, uncle, cousin, and with that permission to be able to go to school. 
And so as she walks out of her house, before she gets to school, um, she is facing several uh, threats. It's the, you know from uh, what might seem as minor as um, uh, verbal harassment to sexual harassment to even as severe as the possibility of acid thrown on her face um, for wanting to go to school. Um, by the time she reaches uh, her school, um, it's very likely that her school may have received a um, warning letter and what they call a night letter uh, from the Taliban or ISIS um, threatening to burn the school because they are educating girls. And as the school is dealing with, with a threat like that, um, and as she's in school, it's, it's possible that um, she and hundreds of her classmates um, get uh, poisoned and rushed into hospital because they are attending school. And um, it's a local, it's another threat and another message um, from those who are against girls' education. And this is and something that's still happening today? It, it, it does. And, and you know, I'm, t I'm, I'm giving you uh, a a range of all the possible possible threats that exist um, for a girl's education in rural Afghanistan. It may not happen all in one day for her, but I'm talking about all these, um, you know, ranges of experiences and uh, uh, particularly challenges that girls face as they go to school. And, you know, while she's in school, um, it's uh, very likely um, that uh, most of her teachers will not show up to teach that day because the, the school may not even have a math teacher, for instance, or a science teacher. Um, so uh, she would is lucky to have even one or two uh, teachers who are subject matter experts in, out of all the subjects, or out of the 12, 15 subjects that she is assigned to learn that year. Um, when she comes back home, it's not like um, you know, she her homework gets priority over anything else. Uh, she has to compensate for the fact that she has been away from home um, in school. So she has to uh, switch gears and um, cook and clean and take care of younger siblings and all the chores that are at home so that she can justify being out in school. And if she has time, then she will be able to do her homework and if she's even if she's tired. So education and how it impacts girls is something that we experience in every country around the world. It's certainly marked in more countries than others as a, a more critical issue, but you know, like my mum, for example, I, I'm, we're not going back that many years, she was the very first person, the very first girl in her extended family to go all the way to grade 12. Uh, I was the very first girl in my extended family to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so these are these are these are not so far removed from the current experiences that we have. I agree, and within my family as well, my grandparents were the first ones to go all the way through high school, and my grandfather was the first one to push the envelope and uh, attain a college degree. And that's what has helped us. Uh, that importance for education is what's kind of helped our family succeed over the years as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so my family actually shares a very similar story. Uh, both of my both sets of grandparents were the first to hit past the eighth grade. My mother was the first, uh, and this is in the Philippines, uh, to uh, get a college education and come back and you know become uh, something other than a farmer or a land worker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad left school at fourteen, and 
went back and did his GED at night. You know, it's just amazing how hungry people are and the kind of sacrifices they will make to learn. And, and Shabana talks a little bit about that and these girls that she um, gathers from around Afghanistan and, and an opportunity that she creates to solve these gaps, to solve for these threats that girls in particular are facing uh, and, and provides this incredible school for her girls to attend. Let's hear from Shabana again. Now imagine taking that girl and putting her in a boarding school environment. Um, the changes you bring in her day-to-day uh, -day life is dramatic. Uh, you all of a sudden remove so many of these threats out of her way. Um, she doesn't have to have carry that uh, emotional burden in order to be able to study. All of a sudden, because she's in a boarding school environment, you buy several hours in her day that she can focus on herself. All of a sudden, she's in an environment where her education isn't second important to her brothers, but it is her education that is most important, most valued. And so it is a huge change in, in what a boarding school model can do, what SOLA can do for girls in Afghanistan. So, um, you know, our goal is to um, educate girls um, from 6th through 12th grade um, and, and then be able to um, see them uh, attend universities in Afghanistan, outside of Afghanistan, regionally, elsewhere around the world, in the U.S. and anywhere, and that with the idea that they will be ready enough to be able to do that. Um, we um, teach a lot of our curriculum in English. Our students, within a year of studying at SOLA, are able to speak English fluently. Every single student is assigned a mentor uh, through Skype and this is a network of 70 or more volunteers that we have um, um, in our network who um, are assigned to individual students and they work one hour each week or twice a week um, on you know English and you know this is an opportunity for them to have a conversation about um, culture and uh, you know different ways of life and um, even talk about you know potential careers that they're interested in and that relationship gets very strong but that's also a wonderful way for us to expose them to the world outside of Afghanistan our goal is that these girls though they come from different parts of Afghanistan will become the future leaders of Afghanistan so when you listen to her you you think this is incredible we need to do this for every kid around the world right. especially every girl um, to give them that access but we haven't yet found a way to do this at a global scale and despite a ton of progress in school environments in many parts of the world the number of children between the ages of 6 and 11 who are out of school has actually increased since 2011 and two out of five kids are leaving primary school elementary school without fully learning how to read so we've got to look at the quality it's more than just getting kids and girls into school, it's that youth involvement piece too, right? To help, to help kids have a say in their education and, and, and a say in their outcomes. So to look into this, we're gonna to talk to Lana Wong, who leads youth engagement and partnerships at the Education Commission. So Lana, perhaps you can start us off by talking to us about your work and how does it link into the United Nations goals around education access and quality? Sure, thank you, Kusula. Um, so the Education Commission, or maybe I should let you all know the, the whole glorious name of the commission, which is a bit more descriptive. It's actually the International Commission Financing Global Education Opportunity. 
so a bit of a mouthful, but it basically set up last year to pull together the world's best research on global education and come up with an agenda for action to secure every child's right to an education. So when we talk about this idea of not just quantity, i.e. getting kids in school, but quality, how, how can we ensure that a child going to school is coming out with those essential literacy skills, for example? What, 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 how, what's the Commission's role in all of that? Well, the quality question is a huge one, and um, I know we don't have a long time on this podcast, but I will say that to our uh, report, which is 170 lovely pages, um, <laughs> I would direct you to check it out online on educationcommission.org. But to try and boil it down quickly here, um, I would say that um, the Commission has put forward 12 recommendations to get all children learning, and these are based around four major transitions, which are performance, innovation, inclusion, and finance. I think for the quality issue, the quality question, the, the recommendations around performance and innovation are most relevant here. So, um, you know, the first of these is really getting national decision makers to set national standards, to track that progress, and to make that information public. And then um, another recommendation is to invest in what delivers the best results. This is not, you know, the same for different country contexts. So there's really certainly no silver bullet that will, will help all countries in all situations. So the Education Commission is just an, an one example of how an organization is plugging into the global goals uh, to, in order to support education. So what can you do to help? Well, first of all, you can help to support Shabana's work at SOLA. And let's go ahead and see. She actually told us a little bit about how you guys can plug in at home. Best way would be to um, visit our website. Um, it's um, www.sola-afghanistan.org. Um, immediately, I mean, we have just received a half a million dollar challenge grant um, that we need to um, raise um, and match before the end of the year. Um, but there are also other ways um, to uh, get involved and support um, SOLA. You can also support the United Nations Foundation campaign, Girl Up. They're working to support girls around the world. Right now, they have a great t-shirt. That was it is so cool. <laughs> I, have I have Christmas presents for my girls coming. <laughs> uh, created by Cara Delevingne that says, You see a girl, I see the future. You can check that out on our website, DIYfuture.com. So the really exciting thing about all of this is there's progress and we need more of it. As you listen to Shabana and Lana and, and hear what inspires them to take action on education, we want you to think about what inspires you and how are you acting maybe um, in the schools that your kids go to or your nieces or nephews or just kids that you love in the neighborhood. How are you getting involved in making sure that the quality of education and the access to education is happening as it should in your area. Send us your answers at diyfuture.com and we will have, you'll have the chance to be highlighted in our next podcast. So take care my friends, let's DIY this future together. <laughs>